from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. From all around the world, as far north as none of it, to South Africa, Lincolnshire, UK, Oklahoma, and all places north, south, east, and west, I welcome you all to the Badass Counseling Show. We are in studio, and we are taping a lightning round, and these are always so much fun. I've got on my right over in the booth, I've got Casey, and on my left, I have the master producer, Rob. How are you this evening, Rob? I'm doing great, Sven. So good to see you. As always, you are the captain, and I am the old cook up on deck. <laughs> what the hell is the cook doing up on deck fellas it's too rough to feed you, uh, you know? ooh, ooh, ooh. that is my favorite karaoke song it's right in my range i love wreck of the end fitzgerald i hope that's not a harbinger of what's ahead this evening that our cook is up here saying that rob we'll see <laughs> he's gonna sabotage our show kc keep an eye on him all right <laughs> she's giving me double thumbs up all right, it's great to have everyone here. And as you know, our lightning round episodes air on Sunday uh, at 12.01 a.m. Uh, that's when we drop new episodes and Rob drops the new episodes uh, of the actual counseling session episodes, which is a totally different format, on Thursdays at 12.01 a.m. Eastern time, that is, Eastern United States. So you do the conversion, the metric, divide by six. I think that's about 12 kilograms and a six-pack of beer time. So I, I hope you did the conversion there to metric. I am taking questions tonight. We're looking at a, sort of an extended play of a, a holiday episode. Uh, last week, we did a holiday episode, and tonight we're doing a holiday episode tonight. Um, and if I don't get a single holiday question, that's Okay. That's okay. But a lot of times around this time of year, you know, in the coming out of Canadian American Thanksgiving, well, Canadian was a bit earlier, you know, mid October. Um, and as we approach Hanukkah and as we approach uh, Christmas and Kwanzaa and other holidays, uh, people have issues. My mother died on December, for November 30th of last year. And so for my siblings and myself and the grandkids, um, the holidays now have a new flavor and uh, a bit of sadness, and but joy and celebration and remembering and so forth. And holidays can be laden with so much stuff for so many different reasons. So we're going to get into holiday questions, but I'm taking anything. So, hey, lay it on me. All right, rock and roll, hoochie coo. Here we go. Oh, we're opening it with a holiday question. God bless me. User 969766698 and a whole bunch more numbers says, I'm going to have my first holidays without my best friend. He passed. His wife doesn't want anyone. It sucks. I'm sorry you lost your best friend. It's horrible. And um, I, I'm sorry. Whatever it was that took your best friend's life, I'm truly sorry. And it must be sad to not be able to see your best friend, not be able to see his wife and these people who have been a part of your life for so long. And what we do in times of death, what we do in times of loss is we keen, as the Irish call it, we grieve. We allow the soul to grieve. We open up the gates of our heart and we flush it all out. We let ourselves feel what the heart naturally feels. When we lose those we love in life, from a best friend to a lover to a beloved parent to unfortunately a child, to even a companion, favorite companion, dog or cat. And they can be just as important in a home as anything else or any other type of animal. When we lose something, when someone or something dies, it hurts our heart and the obligation, the obligation to life, not even just to yourself, but to life, to living authentically, to, to the collective human spirit there's all living beings. We grieve the loss of this creature, this friend, this lover. We must grieve because that's what it means to be alive. Being alive ain't just the happy shit. It's the sad stuff. You are alive. Honor your friend. Grieve. Let this holiday 
bring grief and let the grief be just as natural as the joy and keep flushing when the holidays end and keep flushing and one day your holidays will still have memories, rich, wonderful memories of the one you lost and it will take on a new meaning. The gratitude will be deeper. The love will be stronger. The joy will be lighter even as the memories are there because we savor life amid death. One of my favorite authors, Joseph Campbell, if not my all-time favorite author, said, basically the grand challenge of life is to walk joyfully amid the sorrows of the world. That it's both. And it's to grieve when the heart needs to grieve. Next question. All right, what have you got? Uh, This is from Christy Lynn. I can't make it to see any of my family. First time ever. Major expenses, suggestions to get through. Yeah, Chrissy Lynn, first of all, I'm sorry you can't be with your family. It sucks. Um, I've been there. I think a lot of us have been there. And uh, as with the question I just answered, um, first of all, I'd recommend you know getting all your feelings out, the sense of loss, the sense of you know missing them and longing, uh, maybe even the sense of aloneness. And what do you do? You create something new. Not something false, but something new. What could you create in this situation that would give your holidays a sense of meaning? All right, maybe it's engaging in, in uh, you know, if if it's uh, you know, uh, getting your own menorah, getting your own Christmas tree, or maybe it's nothing. Maybe you've always wanted the holidays without the accoutrements. Uh, maybe it's if you're a person who likes going to the religious uh, services, uh, do that and do it alone. Maybe it's inviting over a new friend. I remember when uh, I was living in L.A. for the first time. Um, I'd always sworn I'd never live in LA. And then I found myself there. Yes, it's always a woman or a job. And it was a woman. And uh, we were living together and ended up getting married. But uh, one of the things about a city like that is there's everybody's a transplant. And so you begin to develop friendships and you sometimes spend holidays with the friends. And in a strange way, friends become family. And in some ways, closer than family. And I delighted in that. I relished those friendships. And we built our own traditions and it's time to start doing that because what if it's a second or a third Christmas or whatever your holiday is and creating something about this season that is special to you while simultaneously flushing out the negative feelings that you're feeling that don't feel good. Next question. Uh, Husband doesn't appreciate gifts. They end up on the closet floor or he returns them. Do we give to him? Well, let me ask you this question. First of all, have you ever asked him, and because for some, he may not want the gift, but perhaps he enjoys the opening of the gift. All right. He enjoys uh, opening, you know, having something under the tree waiting for him. Or maybe he doesn't. Now, is he just being a spoiled sport and pouting? Or does he actually just, it's not his thing? Believe, I mean, giving gifts and receiving gifts is a love language, right? And some people just don't speak the language. I like having something fun to open, but for me, getting gifts, it's really not that big a deal. I just like seeing packages under the tree, you know, and it's like, yeah, get something. And it's so funny because one of my brothers growing up, my brother, David, he he always gave the best Christmas presents, which is, I love any Christmas present that makes me laugh, any birthday present. I remember one year he owned some apartment buildings and he took some old, you know, uh, toilet seats that he had taken off, you know, out of some old units. And I'm sure he washed them and then he would wrap them up. Or one year he gave me like five different phones, old phones. <laughs> and I was half pissed, but laughing my ass off. So, you know, is your husband someone who likes opening a gift? If not, well, then don't waste the money. But how it's asking him the question, what would it take to make this special for you? What do you want? What would make it meaningful for you? So maybe it's not the gifts, but it's finding a way that everybody is finding joy in this experience. And uh, if you have the need to give gifts, give gifts to others or invest that money in, in giving gifts to those who may not have gifts, toys for tots and, and so forth. Um, what a great investment. If his gifts are just going to end up on the closet floor or return, how great would it be to give that to family uh, in need, to children in need, to individuals who are feeling alone, to the homeless? Um, just some ideas. All right, next question. Is it normal for me to have few memories of my childhood after growing up with narcissistic parents? Um, You'd be surprised how many people have this experience, whether they would classify their parents as narcissistic or not. You'd be surprised how many people have the experience of not remembering their childhood or remembering very little from their childhood. 
And so you're asking, is it normal to have few memories of childhood after growing up with narcissistic parents? Yeah. <laughs> I get people all the time. So if your simple question is, is it, um, is it normal? Yeah. Um, but I almost hear you saying, or I'm going to answer the question, whether you're asking or not, well, what the hell do you do with that? And people wonder, you know, why does the brain do this? Very often, uh, a person's brain will shut down things, especially child's brain, when the pain is too great. The feeling unloved or that uh, criticism or maybe even physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse. And the brain will shut down and it's this natural mechanism. I don't know what the fucking science is, but the brain will shut down as a self-protection mechanism of the child. And so that person will enter teen years and adulthood not remembering their childhood. And some people want to unlock that. Some people want to remember. And there are ways to do it. One of the ways that I work with my clients is start with yesterday. Start with a month ago. Start with something that you remember from as recently as 15 minutes ago, where you have a feeling associated with it. When you were driving to come to counseling with me, did you get cut off on the highway and did you flip the person off? Well, give me oh, any memory that you have any sort of feeling attached to, even if it's love when you first met your spouse, or even if it's anger at having flipped someone off. Let's start right there and let's start talking about that. Let's flush out that a little bit of pain. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a memory of some other piece of pain. Well, I do remember, Sven, two months ago, I did feel pretty sure. I really felt disappointed when I didn't get my fucking raise. My boss told me I was getting a raise. Okay, now we've got another one. And the more we begin to pull on that thread a little bit, even if we just start with yesterday, even if we just start with 15 minutes ago when you got cut off on the highway and you said, fuck you, all right? We start pulling on that thread bit by bit by bit by bit. And eventually the, the curtain blocking you from your childhood will begin to unravel bit by bit in manageable doses. Um, and so, yes, it is normal. And yes, it can be dealt with should you just decide. All right, next question. What are your thoughts on a person needing to be fully healed before going into a relationship? Um, my thoughts are, in a way, none of us is ever fully healed. It's a process. Life is a journey. The, the soul journey is a process. I have shit literally just today. I was taking a bath. I, it was my workout day and I go and I work out hard and lift heavy for about three and a half hours. I get lit on caffeine and then, but I'm stinky ass, dirty, sweat, blood, just fucking. And so I was taking a bath and um, because the drain on my shower is separated, we have to get it repaired. Anyway, taking a bath and I was sitting there and I was having a memory from my childhood. I don't know, I was like 12 or something. And it was fucking embarrassing. And I was feeling that memory had an emotional charge attached to it, all right? And I had to release that emotional charge. And one of the tools I use is there's an accepting technique that I talk about in my book or the Sedona method. And so I'm releasing those charges. In other words, I'm still doing this. I've been doing this shit. A deliberate soul journey, um, healing the soul and my spiritual disciplines, my, my connecting to my own spirit. I've been doing this shit since I was 19, deliberately. And I still have new shit coming up. So we're never fully healed. But getting back to your question, what are your thoughts on a person needing to be fully healed before going into a relationship? Well, recognizing you're never gonna be fully healed. I am a giant believer in healing your shit a lot, as much as you possibly can before any relationship. Why? Because the shit that you haven't healed, the pain, the fears, the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself, if those aren't out of you, they're corrupting the system. And much of your personality is a compromise to those. It's a contorted, you're not living an authentic self. You're living a self that is contorted because of that crud inside of you. That means you're going into a relationship as a false version of yourself as a persona, not as your authentic person, which means that person is coming into a relationship with a false version and unhealthy people come in twos. So that means they likely are as well. So you're creating this relationship based on two people who aren't fully authentic. And there's nothing inherently like wrong or evil or against the law about that, but it's gonna create fucking problems, especially if at some point one person keeps doing the work of becoming authentic or begins the work of becoming authentic because now you're changing the social contract. Wait, you used to be this person. Now you're this person over here and I, this isn't what I signed up for. Or the person who's growing and, and becoming more and more authentic may realize they've outgrown the other person or starts holding the other person accountable for their shit and that other person doesn't want to because I never had to in the past with you. 
And so I'm a big fan of healing before going into a relationship. That way you're not carrying your old shit into your new relationship, and it will corrupt that relationship. But also you're creating a relationship based on uh, authenticity. Uh, Mary Beth asks a very important question. Mary Beth asks the question, do you worry about confidentiality? Oh, you bet your ass I do. You bet your ass. Every single one of my clients signs a confidentiality agreement and they get a copy of it from countersigned by me. My entire life's work is predicated on privacy and confidentiality. So anytime you hear me referring to a person, it's a composite, all right? Or the person's not a client. It's someone reaching out with a random question. All right, well, if, if I, you haven't hired me as your therapist, there's no breach of confidentiality, but I don't give people's names. In this setting here, you are in a public forum offering your question. Therefore, I'm at liberty to refer to you uh, publicly, whatever your um, handle is here on live. But in honor of your question, do I worry about confidentiality? I take it very seriously, but I don't worry about it because everything I refer to is a composite, all right? Or I've changed identities significantly out that there's no possible fucking way anybody could know who that person is, even the person themselves. All right, next question. Why does growing older make me feel anxious or scared? I'm about to turn 30. Thanks, Sven. Um, why does growing older make you feel anxious or scared? Well, it's gonna be different from for different people, um, but I would what I would wanna follow up in asking you is, what's the primary fear driving the response? What's your biggest fear in growing older? I was having a conversation with someone uh, just this last week uh, who said to me, you know, Sven, um, you know, I have a lot of regrets about the past and it chews me up. I have a lot of regrets and I get sad that I'm growing, you know, growing older. What do I do? <laughs> I say, well, yeah, you know, in, in, in the past, there were things you wanted to do, you things you wanted to say, experiences you wanted to have that you didn't do. And now you're looking backward, which means that you're still missing the present. It's not like life is done. You're missing the present. You're missing the opportunity to interact with today and create a future where you're no longer regretting the past. And so you have to heal. You have to flush out those regrets. But to answer your question very directly, why does growing older make me feel anxious or scared? Um, there could be any number of reasons on that, uh, but clearly you fear something. And what do you fear? Um, it could be you fear, uh, if you're about to turn 30, do you fear being alone and you don't have someone? Do you fear that you haven't built your career? Are you comparing yourself to others around you? And that's what's creating fear in you. Like, holy shit, I'm getting old. I don't have something or I haven't reached those points in my career or I feel alone because I have no friends. What is the underlying fear in one sentence or less that's causing you to feel this way? Next question. All right. How do you fix a marriage where hubby binge drinks to embarrassment and had even been unfaithful in? Um, last clause there that had even been unfaithful in. Hubby has been unfaithful or you've been unfaithful to hubby. I'm gonna, it kind of reads to me as uh, that your husband has binge drinked to embarrassment and has even been unfaithful in it. Um, presently binge drinks to embarrassment. Um, okay, it's really a couple of things going on here. Binge drinks to embarrassment, uh, embarrassing you presumably. Um, have you talked with husband about it? Does your husband have any interest in changing? And I don't mean talking with your husband when he's drunk. Obviously, that's going to be fruitless. But when your husband is sober, and does your husband have any interest in changing his actions? If it's embarrassing him and, and or embarrassing you. And furthermore, I have to ask, if he's been unfaithful to you, um, and this is an honest question, this is not a, I'm not leading. I just want to know, if he's been unfaithful, why are you still in the relationship? And if he's engaging in behavior, binge drinking to embarrassment, which clearly there's a pattern, you're referring to it as a pattern, and yet you're staying in a relationship with someone who embarrasses you and has cheated on you, it tells me you have an extraordinarily high pain threshold, and that's not necessarily a good thing in this case. You're allowing someone to make you feel shitty. You've taken back someone who... Uh, who cheated on you. And you know what? I want to just take a moment here. You guys have heard me talk about before, and I talk about it in the book. I get asked the question all the time about cheating and about infidelity. And people say, well, if a cheater cheats, you know, they'll cheat again. And I say, and I have a response to that, and it's two caveats. And this question is actually the perfect, perfect thing that dovetails into my answer. I always say a cheater will cheat again, but I have two caveats. And the first caveat is un they will cheat again unless they actually do the very deep work of determining where in their past 
The pain is coming from, because cheating is a response to shit from their way past, childhood shit, all right? And I wrote a two-volume book on infidelity, all right? And I have a lot of personal experience being cheated on. I was a cheater at one point, and I was the co-cheater with someone who was cheating on their spouse multiple times. It's not pretty, I'm not proud of it, but I learned from it. And I use those experiences to help others uh, in their relationships. So I get asked that question. They will cheat again unless they do the work. But the second caveat is this, and you've heard me say it before, but what if we change the definition of cheating? They'll cheat again, and not just they may cheat sexually or they may have an emotional affair, but what if we change the definition of cheating to they will engage in some behavior that has the power to undermine the relationship? if it's discovered, or has the power to destroy the relationship. Okay, well now, listen to the question that I was just that was just thrown at me by Annie Curley here. She says, how do you fix a marriage where hubby binge drinks to embarrassment and had even been unfaithful in? So he's been unfaithful in the past. Well, let's assume he's not unfaithful now, but look what he's doing. He's engaging in a behavior that has the power to undermine slash destroy the relationship. Exactly. In other words, the problem was never fixed. Just because the person isn't cheating doesn't mean the problem was fixed. It just means that that hole inside of your husband took on a new form to or the medication, quote unquote, and that's a shitty word for it. But the way to make the pain of that hole go away took on a new form. It was cheating and now it's booze binge drinking. And, it, and, and and that form, that new form of cheating, the power to undermine the relationship can come in so many different forms. It can be gambling uh, away the finance. It, become, it can become massive chaos in business. They need to surround themselves with chaos in business as a means to escape their reality. Maybe they start popping pills. Maybe they start overworking, overparenting, overexercising incessantly, overgaming incessantly. None of those things in and of themselves at small doses is bad, but they're doing it excessively. Why? To escape the shit that's going on inside of them. This is why I say, if you don't go down deep inside and heal the real shit that's causing it, you won't solve the equation. You'll just find a new form to run away, to escape the fucking pain, the numbness, or to create numbness from all the misery. This is a perfect example in Annie Curly Hair's question that the husband has gone from cheating to binge drinking. And how do you deal with it? You stand up to it and say, basically, this shit needs to stop or I'm the fuck out of here. And you have to protect yourself. Much more to come right after this short break. Okay. Well, you've, you've heard the podcast. You've listened to other people's issues. Maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking. Face your fears. And focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. It worked for him. And it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. Yeah, baby, we are back. It's a great day to be alive. Great to have you here from all points, north, south, east, and west. Thanks for checking in to the Badass Counseling Show. It's great to have you here. Back to your questions. All right. What is therapy supposed to be like? Should I talk more or should the therapist talk more? What is it? Um, this is a great question. And I regularly get people uh, telling me, that, you know, they've never been in therapy or they're in it now. Um, I uh, had someone telling me recently um, about a friend of his uh, who said, you know, I was in therapy, and uh, but the therapist was asking me these really uncomfortable questions, and I didn't like it, and uh, so I quit. And this person I was talking to said to his friend, he said, uh, you are aware that that's what therapy is, that you start to look at the the uncomfortable shit. And if you got a really good therapist, you start looking at the ugly shit, the scary shit. So to your question, ALC, the, what is therapy supposed to be like? Should I talk more or should the therapist talk more? Let me tell you what I do. What I believe in, I'm very aggressive in my counseling. I tell my clients right up front, listen, I'm going to interrupt you at times. And it's not me trying to be a dick. It's just that my, my mind needs to go here, here, and here. 
and I and we got to run with it. And we may come back to and revisit what you were talking about, but we need to keep going. I'm I take people very deep. I'm asking constant questions. I'm taking them deep. Now, is that the only way to do counseling? Absolutely not. There are plenty of great therapists who have other techniques. All right, it's it's, it's like in any sport. You know, in soccer, we're in the middle of World Cup season. Is there one way to run an offense in soccer? No. Is there one way to have your midfielders play? No. But the coaches who are running the team and and creating their offense and their defense and their goalkeeping, they found a formula that they believe in and can make work, all right? I've created a formula because of my own depression, my own anxiety. I I fought myself through a 12-year suicidal depression. All right. And I didn't have a therapist helping me. So I was reading a thousand books or more in all different fields, trying to find my way through. And eventually I found tools that helped me and I created tools that helped me and healed myself. And so that's my book, this podcast, all the free videos I do, all the free shit I do, all the counseling I do, all of it is based on the method that I created and I know it works and it worked in my life, but it works in other people's lives. So what's my point? I don't have the one fucking surefire only way to do business. No, but I personally am a believer in questioning that a, th- a therapist who's interactive, I, that's just my own personal preference. Some people don't prefer that. I prefer someone who's going deep, who's pushing me, who's challenging me lovingly, where I know they give a shit, where I know they actually care and where they're not just checking a clock. And for me personally, you know, a a therapy session that goes 45 minutes or 50 minutes for me personally, is just like, no, thank you. (laughs) With my clients, the opening session is a minimum four hours, maximum six hours. Follow-up sessions are a minimum two hours. Because, I mean, you just get fucking going. Anyway, next question. All right. I've bought your books and counseling course. Why do I let myself continue to be treated badly? Well, uh, let me start by saying, have you actually done the exercises in the books? Have you actually gone deep? My book is designed to take you to the ugly shit of life. And it's one thing to buy it. It's another thing to read it. It's a third thing to actually interact with it. Those exercises I have in the book and that I'm constantly pressing in all the free videos I do on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and and, uh, YouTube, you know, on my Badass Counseling page, the questions in these videos and the issues I'm raising are intended to take you deep, to take you deep. Um, Like is said in the opening of the show, take you deep and provide balm for the soul, all right? You have to go deep. And if you're not willing to go deep, you're not gonna fucking heal, you're still going to let yourself continue to be treated badly. In order to stop allowing yourself to be treated badly, you have to go into what the fear is that's driving the behavior. You have to go into what the beliefs are that you were taught about yourself in childhood that cause you to continue to act like you need to eat this person's shit. Usually, and here's a quick answer, short answer, and it's a high probability answer. And that is, if you are allowing someone to treat you badly, you've been conditioned to believe that that's normal and then that's what you're supposed to do, which means you likely grew up with someone treating you badly. So now you walk into a relationship and that's what's normal. It's familiar. If someone actually treated you well, while that's what you want, to some degree, it would be highly disorienting for you because you don't know how to fucking respond. You may not even trust someone who treats you nicely because it's so foreign to you. They must want something from me. They must be buttering me up. Why is someone being nice? So in a way, you simultaneously want it, but don't trust it. Isn't that interesting? And so you choose that's what's familiar, and that is someone being harsh or cruel or critical of you. And so how do you stop that? You stop that by healing the shit. And the shit is the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. And it, But that requires a willingness to go into that dark cave where those memories are. And the only way you can uh, decharge, to remove the emotional charge from the memories of your past, and it's that's the shit that's undermining you and undermining your life and causing you to feel depressed and anxious and so forth. The only way you do that is you go back and you pull up those memories and you begin the process of flushing out the pain and the fears and the bullshit beliefs. You begin the process of decharging those memories. And then the more you do that, the more you begin to calm down, the more you begin to honor yourself, the more you begin to say, no, that's not okay. And you hold your ground. All right, next question. This is a great question. Leanne2021 asks, how do you know when your marriage is not repairable? All right, how do you know? Um, There are a few sort of things that sort of dovetail together on this one. The mere fact, first of all, uh, Leanne, I'm sorry you're in this spot. You wouldn't even be asking this question unless you were beginning to have the feeling like this fucking thing may not be uh, repairable. 
Um, how do you know? Well, first of all, it's likely it's something that's been going on for a long time, right? And you've tried to repair it. You've tried to make your answers known or your wants and your needs known. And if you haven't done that, then you're probably not ready to end the relationship. But you need to have the courage to put up in front of your partner and say, listen, this is what I need. This is what I want. But I'm willing to bet, Leanne, that you've probably been doing that for quite some time, right? Which is why you're at the point of this thing's fucking irreparable. They don't want to fucking change. They don't give a shit about my feelings. But how do you know when it's finally done? You know it's finally done when you have that day where you just wake up and it's like, fuck it, I'm done. But you want to know one of the surest ways to uh, know for sure? Do every single last possible thing you can to fix it. To give it yourself, to get healing, to get the person into counseling, to stand up for the person, stand up to the person and stand up for your needs and insist on your needs being met. And you know what? There's a funny thing in relationships or in a job or in your career, on a career path or in friendships. When you feel like you've done everything you possibly can, it's almost effortless to walk away. It's, it's easy. I mean, yes, there's still labor that needs to be done or work, the actual uh, process of going through it. But when you've done everything that you know you could possibly do, it's easy to walk away. It's like, I'm done. There's nothing more. You know, my work is done here. You know, it's like, I'm out. And so my question to you would be, have you done everything you can? And this dovetails into my uh, thing I've told you guys before. This is what it means to, how do you let go of someone? How do you let go? Maybe they've died. Maybe they've left you. Maybe you've left them. Uh, Or how do you let go of your favorite pet that died? How do you let go? You let go by holding on as tightly as you can. You keep holding on. You keep remembering them. You keep expunging all the memories and feeling the feelings. And you keep allowing it and flushing it and flushing it and flushing it until the pain is done until you hold on as tightly as you can until your grip naturally opens. If you're trying to force yourself to let go, it's like you're forcing your grip open. But grips, things that get forced tend to bounce back. And so those memories and that pain will bite you in the ass later. You're best off just holding on. And this is what I did in my breakups. I just held on as long as I could. And that doesn't necessarily, and and I was the guy who would send the letters. I always tell you guys, oh, write the letters, but don't send them. I would always send them. They never amounted to shit or they got short-term results or I just fucking embarrassed myself or they got used against me in court or whatever. Um, Yeah, you got to flush out the pain. (laughs) Rob's laughing at that one. What's so funny about that, Rob? There's nothing funny about court. (laughs) And yet he's laughing. No, uh, you got to flush out all the pain. And when you've done that, when you've held on as long as you can and done everything you can, you'll know. You'll just wake up and you will fucking know. All right, next. Oh, I cheated on my ex-wife twice before we were married. I have a history of cheating, period. I will not do. And then it got cut off. Um, (laughs) If you're about to say I will not do it again, yeah, uh, unless you've done the work, you will engage in some behavior that has the power to undermine your relationship. You want to know why? Because you haven't drilled down to the core issue that's driving the action of cheating, which means whether you cheat or not isn't the point. You'll engage in something because you're trying to make that feeling deep inside of you go away. You're trying to assuage some hole in your love cup that has never been healed. All right. And then I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not. That's not the issue. And I was a cheater. So it's like, I'm the last fucker who can judge anyone on this, all right? So it's not a place of judgment. But until you heal what's driving that compulsive behavior, you're going to engage in some other compulsive behavior, some other behavior that is so powerful that it has the power to undermine uh, your relationship. All right. And M asks, does journaling help dramatically? Yes, it does. But it doesn't help by just doing it once. It's like anything. It's like, does going to the gym help dramatically? You're fucking right, it does. Does walking as an exercise help dramatically? Oh, hell yes. You wanna lose weight? Just fucking start walking. Does engaging in some positive new behavior uh, help dramatically? Yeah, and journaling is one of them. Now, there are also other tools that I recommend in my book, such as the Sedona Method and such as the releasing technique as taught by Doreen Banaszak in her book, Your Time Is Now, Um, the whole book is its own thing, but she teaches an an accepting technique and it's a way of releasing negative feelings. Uh, I personally use it, but I use the Sedona method more. Um, I do my journaling. Um, I especially do journaling during my workouts and I journal about my life and I get out all my aggression and through that journaling, um, and so forth. But, uh, it absolutely helps because what you're doing in journaling, the goal isn't to capture your thoughts. It's to release your feelings. 
And you can be releasing your thoughts too and what you're thinking about and why is this going on? But the goal is to continue to dive deeper. What the hell is really going on? Where are these feelings come from? Because it's all of those feelings that are attached to memories in your past, even if it's just yesterday or 50 years ago. Those feelings that are attached to those memories, those memories have emotional charges. Those are what's inside of your love cup. And that's what's being triggered when you get triggered. It's not this exterior event that is triggering you. That's just sort of the, the impulse but what's being triggered is all those memories that have emotional charges attached to them. And so you've got to go into those and begin the acts of decharging. And that is why I'm such a huge believer in journaling, because it has that effect if you go deep enough. And that's what my podcast is for. The Badass Counseling Show is here to help you begin to ask those questions to take you deeper. That's what my book is for, to hold your pretty little hand and walk you through the work of going deeper. And I give you all the questions and I give you the insights you need uh, for going deeper. All right, after this short break, I'll continue to take you deep right here on The Badass Counseling Show. You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. Back with more to kick your ass. Here's Sven. Yes, I am back. We are back. My team is back. We're on fire tonight, having a lightning round episode of the Badass Counseling Show. It's great to have you in from... All around the world, I know I, I get. I'm always getting new uh, places. We got one tonight from None of It Canada, which is way up in the north, north, north of Canada. I thought that was pretty cool. I'd never even heard of the place. So it's we have people from everywhere, and I love it. And thank you all for tuning in. And for those of you whose questions I'm taking live tonight, I want to thank you for trusting me with your questions and uh, opening your hearts and your minds to possibilities. And I'll be very honest. Do I, you know, do I bat a thousand? Oh, hell no. Do I give advice that may not work for you? Yeah. And so you know what you do? I tell this to my clients all the time. If it does, if what I'm saying doesn't resonate with you, throw it in the trash. The goal isn't to do what I say. My goal in all of this is to help you begin to hear your own authentic voice. And it's what's, what's packed on top of your voice is pain, is fears, is bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. And sometimes I have to put a bit of a stent in there so that your own voice can come up through it. But the goal is to get all that crud out so that you can have an, a, a pure relationship, an intimate relationship with your own spirit. And that doesn't come by doing what I say. It comes by doing with what feels right to you and beginning to trust that more and more and sooner and sooner. All right, here we go. Uh, KJ Mama says, it's my first time on your show, Sven. What's the name of your book? It's called The Badass Counseling Show. That's the name of the show, excuse me. Yes, Rob. Rob's looking at me. I can see it out of the corner of my eye. He's like, no, idiot. That's not the name of your book. Edit. Edit. <laughs> Leave that in. I like that. Okay. No edit. <laughs> uh, name of the book is There's a Hole in My Love Cup, as we just heard on the commercial. All right. This is a good one. Uh, I like this. Is it okay to ask your partner to not continue to a certain place? Controlling versus compromise, SC Preneur asks. Is it okay to ask? Yeah, you can ask your partner any fucking thing you want. My question to you would be, why do you want to ask it? Um, one of the things that I always tell my clients, and I talk about it in my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and I talk about it in uh, many of the free videos I do on you know YouTube and, and TikTok and so forth and Instagram, is I always tell people, you know, Sven, I, I can't figure out why my spouse is blah, 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 or I can't figure out why this coworker of mine just keeps blah, blah, blah. Anytime you can't figure out why someone's doing something or why someone is doing something that doesn't make sense, always ask yourself the question, what's the primary fear driving the behavior? Then speculate the answers. Hell, take a piece of paper and a pen and bullet point all the potential answers to that. What could possibly be the fear driving that behavior? Uh, speculate the answers and then pick out the biggest, hairiest, scariest one. What is the biggest fear? And I can all but guarantee that's what's driving them. When someone's doing something that doesn't make sense or they're not doing something and it doesn't seem to make sense, it's a fear and it's a significant fear. So when you ask me this question, SCpreneur, is it okay to ask your partner to not continue 
to a certain place. I assume you mean going to a certain place, like going to bars or going to a place where there are a lot of people uh, that your spouse might be interested in, in a you know sort of untoward manner. Um, is it okay to ask them? I would want to ask you the question, what's the fear driving the behavior, your behavior? What's the fear driving your desire to ask your spouse not to do that? What are you afraid of most? Is it that you fear uh, your uh, partner cheating? I'm willing to bet that's probably what it is. Or fear your partner getting into trouble or creating trouble for you? Right. And so let me ask you, is that fear warranted based on what you know of your partner? Or is this your own fears that you've been bringing through life? Do you forever live in this fear? Or do you have some measure of evidence that seems to indicate that your partner might go in in a, in a bad direction? In other words, it might, is there something about your partner that you genuinely believe that you can't trust your partner? Or is this just about your own fears? If this is just about your own fears, then you need to heal that shit. Then your fears based on your past are getting in the way of this relationship. What if you're sitting in front of, what if your partner is actually a wonderful person who has no intention of harming you in any way, but because you have so much pain from your past, and I don't just mean your past relationships, but your fucking childhood, you've got so much pain that you assume that anybody you open your heart to either might hurt you or will hurt you. And so you live in this perpetual state of fear. Well, if that's the situation, then your fear is undermining your relationship. And it could be undermining a relationship with a really fucking wonderful person who really fucking adores you. Then you're the problem. You see that, right? But if you're seeing something in your partner that causes you to think that they may not be treating you rightly, or there's a potential that they may hurt you based on something about them, then you have every right to bring that up and that needs to be discussed. And it needs to be discussed openly and honestly and maybe even in the presence of a, some sort of counselor or therapist. Uh, but I believe in putting all cards on the table. But you need to ask yourself the question first, is this really about me or is this actually about the other person? And only you can answer that. All right, next question. Here's an interesting question. We've never had this one, Rob. Is it weird not to celebrate my birthday like at all anymore? Because my girl was worried. Is it weird? Uh, <laughs> sounds like your girl thinks it's weird uh, or is weird, worried. No, I actually know plenty of people that don't celebrate their birthdays. It's just either it's not a big deal for them and it never was. I know people who say, Sven, I'm a fucking adult. You don't celebrate a birthday as an adult. And then I know people like me who are like, no, fuck, let's have fun. I love birthdays. It's just a reason to celebrate. And I like celebrating other people. And to be honest with you, hey, how do I say no to me being the center of attention on my birthday? Because I always get my way on my birthday. So I get to do whatever I want. And um, which usually comes in the form of too much cake, too many nachos and cheese, too much bourbon. You know how it is. Um, I'm all for celebrating birthdays, but there are plenty of people that don't. And there's nothing wrong with that. That being said, I would challenge you if you and I were hanging out, you know, having a couple of beers or whatever over a cup of coffee at your local coffee shop, I'd want to ask you, is there something driving that? Is there a fear driving that? Is there pain driving your desire to not have a birthday? Because you don't have to have a birthday or a birthday party. I mean, you have a birthday. You have an anniversary of your birth, whether you want it or not, right? Um, and mine is September 17th. So you guys start saving now for the presents you're going to get me, would you? All right, because you guys really let me down this year. So I, well, some of you didn't, but you know, start saving now. I'm kidding. Um, so is it weird? I'd want to ask you the question, what's driving your desire to not celebrate your birthday? What is it? Because it's perfectly okay. It's your life. You can live it however the fuck you want. You don't want to have a birthday? Don't have a fucking birthday. Big fucking deal. It's really not a big deal. But I, I'd be curious. I'd want to, the itch I would want to scratch is what's the reason? Is, it, is birthday associated with pain for you? And then you want to get that pain out. Not so that you will have a birthday, but just so you're not carrying around that fucking pain. Or do you not like the idea of being reminded how old you, you are? Well, then that indicates to me you don't like the idea of aging. Okay, what's the pain? What's the fear? Uh, you see as you age that you don't like uh, the idea of aging. I see aging as a wonderful process. My parents, well, into their 70s, 80s, 90s, they just became more and more delightful. Um, so you'd want to look at what's going on inside of you, but no, the short answer, there's nothing wrong with not wanting a birthday. Big fucking deal. It's your life. Live it your way. Um, and right, here we go. Here's a holiday question, Rob. We've got one. Are you ready? Always. Good man. Here we go. In capital letters. Charlie Bites says, in capital letters, dreading holidays, exclamation point. Then into lowercase says, abusive no contact parents keep showing up. They won't accept boundaries. Help. 
Yeah, abusive no contact parents keep showing up. Um, in all honesty, uh, how do they? This may sound weird. A, how do they know when you celebrate the holiday? Uh, how are you conveying it? Are you? Is it totally no contact? Um, and I know it's like, well, you know, Sven, if it's Christmas, for instance, well, Sven, come on. Christmas is the 24th. It's the 25th. That's how they know when. Have you thought of not being there? Have you thought of, and it sucks to have to do this, or even to the extreme, have you thought of filing a restraining order? Uh, because the bottom line is uh, bullies, you want, you want to know why bullies bully, whether it's on the childhood playground or abusive in relationships? Because they can. Because they can. And that shit has to be shut down. Is this blaming the victim? No, it's me empowering the victim. You have to take control of your life. Clearly, you're a victim in this case. You said your parents are abusive, no contact. They keep showing up. They don't accept your boundaries. You have to enforce them. And you have to be willing to bring the hammer down. You do, even if it means uh, doing it through the law, because that's not okay. And they're fundamentally saying our voice matters than your voice more than your voice, and that's not okay. And you have to shut that shit down or... Take your family, or if it's just you, take your family and get the fuck out. Go do something else because that's not okay, all right? Um, and the mere fact that they're not honoring boundaries says that you have to take it to the next level and, and ensure that your boundaries are enforced. All right, next question. Went through a rough divorce, seemed to have lost motivation for life in general. Any tips for renewing focus? Yeah, anytime you're losing motivation or you can't get motivated to go after what you want or you have some big dream and you start it and you get fired up and then you stop and you start and you stop. Anything regarding motivation always boils down to pain and fears and crap you were taught about yourself. It's all packed on down on top of your authentic voice. Depression is your soul calling you down. It's calling you down. It's pressing you down to say, hey, let's fucking deal with the shit finally. This life we're living, this us, doesn't work. This us as in heart, mind, soul, body, limbs, pinkies, you know, you know, eyes, all that, this doesn't work. The way we're living doesn't work. It's the soul calling you down to finally deal with it, to go into the depression and to begin to purge, to flush it all out, to begin to look at, origins and sources of this pain. You can't get the motivation either because what you want motivation for isn't what you really want, or more likely, it's all this stuff that you haven't gotten out of you. And so you see, you say to me, um, you went through a rough divorce. You still got massive feelings around that rough divorce. And I'd bet it's anger, sadness, loss, grief, maybe even rage or hatred. And all of those feelings got to come out of you because anytime we have a significant traumatic event, such as divorce, such as death of a dream or loss of a career or death of a loved one, or as I was uh, discussing it uh, earlier, uh, someone lost their best friend in the holidays. All right, anytime you have something like that, it's going to be loaded with, anytime you have any significant event, it's going to be loaded with feelings. And you've got to get those out or those feelings bog us down from the inside. And this is why when people say, oh, I'm just going to power forward. No, you're not. I mean, you can try that for a while, but give it a decade, give it a year, give it a decade, give it two decades. It will corrupt you from the inside. Your soul will call you down because it's saying we need to deal with this shit. All right, next question. Uh, Falcon man 62 says, I have an injustice complex. Do you have any tips to help with anger? This produces, um, you feel like you've been treated unjustly, right? And it produces anger and you're wondering what to do. Well, start getting it out. It's in you. And if you're continuing to have anger responses, it's a sign that you haven't gotten the pain out, but you also haven't found the origins. And I would be willing to bet that deep underneath the injustices that you believe, that you can name, there are injustices that happen way, way back there at four, at six, at eight, at 12. That's where the real fucking pain comes. We had someone on the show on our podcast. Oh gosh, uh, how long ago was it? Um, and it may have been the generational trauma uh, episode, but this young man, uh, let's say early 20s, mid 20s, he said, you know, Sven, I've been doing the work and not, and you know, and also since being on the show, doing the work of your book and so forth. And since being on the show, I finally have had the experience where my first response isn't anger. 
it's like I, I feel different. I feel lighter. My first response isn't anger anymore. If your first response is anger in this injustice complex you have, Falcon Man, then you say, what do you do with it? You start flushing it all out and getting down to the origins and looking at the real shit of where it all comes from and flushing all that shit out. And the more you do that, the lighter you become. The more you do that, the calmer you become. The more you begin to mellow out. Then you can still energize and get jacked up, but it's the anger isn't driving you which is precisely what's going on here. And you have to explore the roots of the injustices that were done to you. All right, I've got time for about one more, maybe two quickly, but um, how to deal with an emotionally unavailable mother, especially hard to deal with during the holidays, emotionally unavailable, which means you want her to be available, which means she has something you want. She's not giving you what you want, some emotion, some connection, some love, some confirmation of your worth, approval, acknowledgement, acceptance, uh, apology. You're not getting your emotional needs met from your mother. And you're asking, how do you deal with it? Um, part of what you do is you actually go inside and you begin to look at the fact that you haven't gotten your emotional needs met. And you start begin to begin to realize you're, you likely have, depending on how old you are, let's just say you're 30 randomly. Um, you, you have a 30-year pattern of behavior in your mother that she doesn't meet your emotional needs. And how long does a pattern of be behavior have to be before, before you finally accept this is a pattern that is not going to change? At what point do you realize you're not gonna get your needs met by your mother? And you've spent your whole fucking life, maybe even you feel at times like you've wasted it, trying to get her approval, acknowledgement, acceptance, a, an apology, and that you're not gonna get it. And, that, and that's a sad day that she's never gonna be the mother you always wanted her to be and that maybe you've been alone the whole fucking time. Yet it's also a liberating day because finally now you can begin to live your life your way rather than living it for what you think she wants or wants from you. At some point, you've gotta do your own emotional healing so that you're no longer wanting what she has. You have to provide yourself the love and the healing that she's not giving. And let me tell you, once you do that, life changes forever. But she has something you want, does she has power over you, and as long as she's not giving it to you, whether uh, uh, um, de deliberately or accidentally, as long as she's not giving it to you, she has the power to make you miserable. In, the, in other words, she is still running your life. She has control over your life. And until you no longer want that, until you begin to heal yourself, she will continue to make you miserable. You have a long, decades-long pattern of behavior witnessed in your mother, and it's time to realize that ain't gonna fucking change. Well, fine people, I love you. I love all of you. I thank you for your questions. This has been fucking awesome. And to everyone checking in from around the world and around the United States and Canada and South Africa and none of it, Canada, thank you so much. And to my producers, Rob and KC, we all say to them, I say thank you. To you, I say have a kick-ass night. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.